You're tuned into the God Stories Radio Podcast. www.godstoriesradio.com. And welcome, everyone, to God Stories Radio. This is Session 30. I'm Fritz. I'm Mike. And I'm Trish. And uh, what a week we had last week with Karen Williams. I thoroughly enjoyed myself. That was unbelievable. It really was. Still saying that. It was so kind of her to to take time. I know she had a TV shoot going on and whatnot uh, the same day, and she squeezed in 40 minutes to to spend with us, and that was just great. She was probably going to be late for her shoot. She had them back to back. Yeah, just about. And, um, man, no matter what you ask her, she's just on top of it. Yep, she is. She's done it before. Uh, seasoned professional, yes. no doubt about it. Thank God for putting uh, putting her there for us. Amen. Amen for that. Amen. Well, this, um, this week is no exception because we have a testimony from our brother Tony from Real Men. Yep. Tony, was, uh, his, he gave his testimony back in August, and I've been trying to, uh, it was taped, and we were able to uh, find it and get his approval, and I just hope and pray that Tony will listen to this again himself. Uh, we're praying for you, Tony. Before you go into Tony, didn't you want to give out our address if somebody wants to send their testimony? Absolutely. We are in search of testimonies, especially yours, you the listener, so uh, please send your testimony, you know, uh, www.godstoriesradio.com. You can send it via the website, uh, the Contact Us button. You can send it to God Stories Radio at Gmail. Twitter? Twitter. Yes, you can. We're hooked you can up tweet now. Us. You can tweet us at God Stories Radio, uh, facebook.com slash God Stories Radio. We want to hear from you. We want your testimony. Yes, we do. You better believe it. So... Well, sit back, strap in, and enjoy. This is Tony live from Real Men. Men in the attic, men of God, iron sharpens iron, and we overcome by the testimony of our words. I was born in Puerto Rico and raised in New York City, in the area of the Bronx, which you might be familiar, because Robert De Niro made it famous, 100. Uh, 78th Street in Belmont. I lived on 188th Street in Washington, one block over adjacent to Little Italy in the New York City. And growing up there was a beautiful thing because you have the experience of culture and the experience of growing up in what was known as the Big Apple. Living there was uh, a situation where I was the first Puerto Rican recourse of 3rd Avenue L. Uh, at that time, um, in, in the 59, it was, uh, the, the racial barriers were, were very tense. And, the, and uh, what, the go- what the Lord had uh, shown me throughout my life was that he ha- was always with me. And the way he did that was, in the, uh, as early as I could remember, in the third grade, uh, uh, they had 
religious instruction. Somebody came from the nearby church and would bring the children over. And as soon as they started sh uh, showing us, uh, you know, like Sunday school, but this was on Wednesday afternoon, I knew that there was a God. I, I remember my mother praying, and I was moved by the Holy Spirit. Because when I saw uh, Jesus on the cross, and then later on saw his mother, the situation was that I, I couldn't forget the sorrow that I felt as a little kid, knowing that there was a good man who died. I didn't know what sin was, but the Holy Spirit let me know that his presence was there. That would follow me until this very hour, right here. So, growing up in the Bronx, once they found out I was Puerto Rican, uh, there were barriers to breakthrough. I remember uh, some of my neighbors when they found out that uh, I was hi Hispanic. Uh, one of them slugged me and, and bashed me on, on this cheek and I hit and scraped on the other. When I got upstairs, my mother came down and she was a tough lady and she took care of him. Then went to his mother and his mother took care of him. So we got some respect, if you know what I'm talking about. But that went on again and again. Uh, there was always situations where uh, I would be walking to school and another guy named Jose Cruz, similar to my name, just uh, started picking on me. He was already in the sixth grade. And he beat me up pretty good where my eye socket was swollen. I didn't go to school for about two weeks. And then I didn't want to go to school ever again because I was so embarrassed. And, but fighting became something that was... Um, I, I didn't like to fight. I'm a peaceful kind of guy. But at the same time, it always approached me. Later on in the same neighborhood, you had the situation where some of the wannabe uh, good fellas, you would say, they're already um, wanting to be men in, in uh, La Cosa Nostra. Um, again, uh, I remember no more than 10 years old being slammed against the neighborhood fence. and. He, he belted me pretty good. He was all of about 24 years old. He was a grown man, almost 300 pounds, driving a muscle car, GTO. So the thing was that I had to learn how to fight real quick. And luckily my sister had a lot of, of, of older, older friends, and they got me into the Bronx Boys Club, and they showed me some martial arts. Just as I was getting good, I turned all of 11 or 12, started growing a beard, uh, lifting a little weights, and I didn't have a chance to fight again. But the rage was inside because I didn't uh, have any type of healing. Healing comes in many ways. Healing comes uh, at different times of your life. And healing comes in a way that you would never expect. I received some healing here when um, Pastor Justin had uh, Michael Francis come. And I dressed up all in black. I had my camera in my pocket. And I went over to him because I knew where he was from. He was from my part of the Bronx. And in that era, uh, I went over. And I wanted to thank him for his testimony. Well, I, I told him a little bit of myself and some of the rage that I had of, of, uh, as a child. And he looked at me and he grabbed my hand and he says, I am so sorry that you have gone through this. Then he leaned over and whispered something, and I whispered something back. That's between him and I and the Lord. And instantly, out of my mouth, it says, it's under the blood. And I received healing from that outrageous hate and rage that I had received unjustly as a child. So I want to bless you in that area as well. 
But my mom and dad were great people. They came and they spoke both English and Spanish. My father was a translator in the Philippines in the Second World War and was the first Puerto Rican to ask, be asked to uh, um, go to West Point. But he wanted to marry mom. And he was in AAA ball, so he was quite a, an all-star at that time. He, of course, drank in the army, and he took that habit back home. Later on, he became a, a salesman for Rango Beer, which didn't help. But he was a good man. I always knew that my father loved me and, and my mother loved me. But there was always tension because of financial difficulties. These are normal things. My parents were not evil people. They just went through the stress, financial stress. And of course, my sister and I took the brunt of it. And again, I remember praying and knowing that God was there. One time my mother got so excited on, on my dad, and this was on a Saturday and a weekend. And so her diabetes went up a little bit too high. My father did not want to hear it. He got so frustrated, he just started punching the wall. Now remember the outrage my father had. He didn't hit her, but he took it out on the wall. I later had to repair it. I was still young at the time, and what happened was that my mother fainted as he was walking out the door because he didn't want to be around anymore. And as I caught her in my arms and I was laying her down, I said, oh God, don't let her die, please, don't let her die. You know, of course she didn't die, but I remember distinctly. If there's an audible voice in your life that sounds like yourself and sounds like righteousness and holy, it's probably God. So God said, yes. And that would linger and to be a protection in my heart for many, many other situations. Like I just told you, with the healing as a child, getting beat up. But mom and dad did continue to fight, and I asked God, it was a time, a period of my life where I went to church every day by myself for a year, and asking God, why does mommy and daddy fight? And I wanted to know. So, I went. And they said, you are some kind of a good son. I says, yeah, I want to do what's right. Later on, I did good in school. I wanted to prove to my father and mother that it wasn't my fault that they fought. And it wasn't my dad's uh, fault that, that he didn't make enough money and that they didn't have to argue or worry about me. I washed dishes, I did laundry, I do, did help my mother with the groceries, and I studied hard in school. I got some awards. And so I became a person that wanted to please to do something right because I, I didn't want it to be my fault. So what happens is that um, later on when you get older, I got a scholarship to an architectural school. I went to the High School of Art and Design and I became a lifeguard in college. And I understood that every time a pretty girl in a bikini walked in the pool, that was trouble. <laughs> I was on duty and I knew how to separate duty from the lust of the eye. So when I was on duty, I was good. I knew there was going to be trouble, and I did have to jump into uh, the water, grab her by the hair, pull her back, and swim her to shore, and plant her there. Meanwhile, when a person is desperate for their, for their life, what do they want to do? They want to pull you down because they want to breathe. They want to survive. But entitlement is not something that is easily recognized. David, when he was... Uh, already ordained as king, took a vacation on a spring uh, afternoon to the rooftop where he watched a, a naked girl. There was a woman that was not his wife. 
and he lusted after her to the point where it got him into deeper and deeper situations. He, he uh, took Sariah's wife, had a baby. The baby died. God said, that was the wrong thing. You stole the wrong sheep. Just because you think you're entitled doesn't let you go. I'm not going to let you go uh, without a payment. The payment is your son by Bathsheba. Well, I, was, I thought I was entitled too. I had the same situations as any guy. Uh, young man, wanting um, every man's battle. And so um, I took on another man's wife. I interfered in the marriage. And we had, I did, it was my decision, I did this. I take full responsibility. I had three abortions. Pum, 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 almost one after another. Very fertile woman. And you don't understand what I just said because there's no reaction from you. But there is no shedding of innocent blood. Within a few hours that the miraculous happens between the DNA, the first thing that is formed within the wound is blood. There's no shedding of innocent blood in the Bible by anybody for any reason. So it says that you would be better for you not to have been born if any harm comes to any one of these small ones. And that a big weight should be dropped upon you. And yet, in this, I'm standing here before you. Before God, I should be in the depth of the sea or in hell. But I'm standing here before you. That's His grace unto me. He had a different plan. Because before the foundations of the earth, He knew and had decided to make a plan of salvation for someone like me. Just because I was entitled thinking that I can do this. And I could get away with it legally. In this United States, there are abortions by the thousands. And no one is speaking up. I'm speaking up right now. Because I'm guilty. The abortion issue is not about woman's right. Don't be tricked by the devil. It's about an infidel taking something that doesn't belong to him and forsaking the life of a child to hide his sin. We could talk about this because we're men. And I want to be real. Uh, that hit me so hard that I never got over it. So we stayed married. Eventually uh, we went to church. And I, realizing I wanted children, I begged God for children. We couldn't have children for almost eight years. Then I got saved. I went to uh, a walk on the beach and the Lord met me there. And I said, Lord, I want to have a family. I want to take care of my stepson. And I want to marry this woman. And I don't know how to apologize, but I do believe that your son died for me on the cross. Oh God. And he said, yes. The same voice I had heard many, many years ago. This affirmation that he's still with me. So I became a, one of the leaders in the church. Always working. Oh, the confidant to a pastor. A pastor that is well known. He actually was the, the mentor to John Maxwell of that camp at that time. 
and I was able to have a leadership role as Sunday school superintendent, discipleship teacher, and all kinds of ministries. And I was always hiding behind religion, deep down the guilt that I felt for having done what I'd done with, to the, my own kids, my unborn. So that sin placate me to where you have a lot of shame. And then Adam and Eve came out of the garden. I mean, they were covered. And that shame, sometimes those leaves can be called Christianity. Because there's something miraculous that happens beyond you knowing the Word. When you get to know the Word, you start to boast and teach and cover your shame, being able to stand up before men and say, this is what I know, let me show you what I know, in all kinds of ways. But deep down, there's, there's still something in there that is not quite right. And it's not entitlement anymore. It's called a sinful nature that has to be eradicated. And that's beyond the words that have brought you to repentance because now you see the difference between right and wrong. That's why a lot of us do not get involved in any kind of ministry. Because as soon as we all say we're willing, we do something. But there's something inside of us that still holds us down. Something that's not quite right. And I'm telling you today that there is many types of healing. Like I said with the other fellow. And I get to, to be privilege that I, I loved my dad until the end. He did stop drinking. One of the most blessed things he ever said to me, Tony, you're my hero. I go, Dad, why do you say that? I think you're my hero. He says, no, because you have kept me from drinking and you watch over me. You watch over my spiritual welfare. I got to pray with him uh, a prayer of faith before he passed away. And I was so sorry I didn't get to say enough or take care of him enough. So the healing came later on when I was uh, right here in this room about five years ago. And by that time, the breakdown of my religiosity and hiding behind this, the, 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 the what do you call that? The drape strings of your mother? Apron strings. Thank you, sir. Apron strings of Christianity. I couldn't hide behind that anymore because it had affected my family severely. Because when I would come home after a busy day of helping that family doing that and looking religious in front of the public on sun Sundays, I would come home with this uncomfortableness inside my own skin. And I remember my children say, Daddy, 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 Daddy. And they walk in into the bedroom. I wouldn't see them for the rest of the day. Because my heart wasn't focused on being the shepherd of my own family. Because I still had issues. That issue was basically that I, I didn't let God love on me. I didn't let God eradicate those deep down things. What's the, what's the, what does the scripture say? It says, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all your will and emotion and with all your physical strength. Well, there was a part of me that didn't accept me being loved on by God because I was undeserving because in my mind I knew what I had done. It's a false guilt until God got a hold of me in, in this way. And he said, If my son, whom I sent, 
has forgiven you. Who are you to deny that I have loved you even when you were not worthy? Look at the Beatitudes. The Beatitude talks about a lot of beautiful things. And you might not be taught this, or you might not understand that. But at the end of the Beatitudes, it says, And these, he spoke with great authority, and the people were astonished. The word astonished, my friends, comes from the word terrified. Because at the end of that, in such a loving way, authoritative way, he said, I have called judgment upon you in comparison to my love. That you need to love me and you need to love yourself. Once you're free from that, go and love your neighbor as yourself. And that is the fulfillment of the commandments. That's why we don't get into ministries. Because there's something still in there that God has to eradicate. And that brings you to a spiritual level which is called... In some churches, sanctified hearts. Others call it the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Others call it your personal Pentecost. Those are all rich words that you can use. But it's going to happen. It's the ushering in. When in the pit of your stomach, in here, you want God more than you want life itself. More than you want the deepest breath or food or any kind of desire. That if you can't have all of God at that moment, you will die. So what's the problem? If God wants you to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, tell me what's the problem? You want the answer? Yes? You want the answer? There is no problem. The problem does not exist. There is no problem. This is who you were meant to be from the beginning of time. And once that happened, God will eradicate those areas of your life. It's like cleaning out the bottom or behind the refrigerator. And those nooks and crannies are so filthy, it, soap and water can get it out. You need a hard tool that scrapes it out and maybe replace the carpeting, maybe replace the molding, and make it all brand new. That is what the God has blessed me with, a new heart. Because of my religiosity, neglect of the family, my judging them at performance-based, I drove them away. I drove away my stepson. I drove away my other daughter that went to college. And finally, my last daughter was wayward. At a particular time in her life, I prayed, Dear God, oh God, please, give somebody, send somebody, maybe a youth pastor, that will try to point her in the right direction. And I prayed diligently for a miracle like that. And that's part of the healing. My daughter's youth pastor was Justin Miller, before he was lead pastor, and pointed her back towards the church. And even as an adult, he has helped her and her husband many a times in counseling and anointing of prayer. So there is healing in that. But it didn't start all at once. The other healing from what I said was my father was that I felt guilty that my father, I didn't do enough for my father. So five years ago, I knew I had to get back into church for a long time. I had lost my job. I had lost my health. I had lost my benefits. 
And I was pretty depressed at that time. I walked out of church. I didn't go back for many years. I resigned all my positions. I understood that I couldn't. When my wife was calling me a hypocrite, she was absolutely right. And I didn't want to hear it because I was a prideful Christian. And blaming her for t not talking nice to me. I wish I could apologize to that, but the apologies aren't enough. You have to beg forgiveness and hopefully give them the opportunity for God to heal them. I know God has forgiven me, but what good does that do her? I have to give her the opportunity to extend forgiveness to me so that she can receive the blessing. Every time you forgive somebody, you receive the blessing. Even in your old memories when it's conjured up again. And it's edging you like it did edge me. You, you ask for forgiveness and you receive the blessing again. And another healing. So I, w I knew I had to come back to the church somehow. Joe Mentry came and had cancer. And he said, I'm going to a prayer meeting tonight. He said, you want to come with me? I said, sure, Joe. We went downstairs. There was 12 men in the room. A man called Gary Manful led it. Then there was two or three other classes involved. And now it's grown to this. There's healing there. Iron sharpens iron. And we overcome by the testimony of our words. So five years ago I sit down and there's this man there that looks like Santa Claus. You know who I'm going to talk about. Elwood Sundin. But what you don't know is that he's been to 48 states of the United States. And to 24 countries. He's been a missionary all his life raised his own money and went out to help others in other countries. He's a world traveler. And now in this class, in the attic, he says to me, I just came out of prison. You want to come? I said, well, what do you mean? He says, I, <laughs> you don't look like, well, you've been in prison a long time? <laughs> And he says, no, we're having a meeting. We're going to be training some people. You could come with us. I'll let you know in three months. I said, okay, okay. But it happened. I've been involved in prison ministry now for approximately five years. In uh, 33rd Street, Polk County, and Lake. And it's not to say that I don't know that I would be in prison ministry. Because I had a small infraction. And I went to 33rd. And I remember walking out of there, and there was one man just sweeping the floor by the there's three, three guard stations or three gates you walk out to be released. I was in the main house. And I remember, and oh, by the way, uh, they recognized I was in church. A, a man, he said, one of the inmates says, because I br helped to break up a fight there, and he says, you go to church, don't you? And I was ashamed to say yes. Because I was in the same place he was. But he called me out and said, I could tell. You read the Bible. And I said, dear God. And God said, yes. So as I'm walking out, the guy mopping there, he says, as I'm being walked out to get my outside clothing, he says, free man walking. And I'm looking through the windows, I'm looking down the courtyard, and I see thousands of men all over. 33rd is huge. So I said, Lord, what about them? And then it hit me. I said, yes, Lord. 
Kosovo. When Elwood started teaching me, I've been now a Kairos leader for several years. And when you go in there, you find out what really you have in your palms of your hand, the riches. Because everything that you think it, you take for granted, these men have been stripped of. Yes, they committed crimes, and yes, they are paying it. But in the deepest valves, in the depths of prison, the Holy Spirit is still working and active. And He's working through people that have a kind word to show, yes, Jesus loves you. You need to forgive yourself first, and then, then have enough courage to go love on somebody else. That is the mission field. It starts. If God could forgive someone like me, He could forgive anybody. So I have a good message and a testimony of encouragement. And I wish to bless you and encourage you as well. The healing comes in many ways. I don't know when God will restore my family. I lost my wife. I lost my the family structure. They're now adults. But I'll tell you one thing I want to give God praise for. Those children. I have eight grandchildren now. <laughs> eight grandchildren. And you cannot tell me that the possibility in my own mind for healing, that the spirit of those that were ordained to be mine may be closer than I think in the evidence of my, some of my grandchildren. Five boys, three girls. Amen. God heals in many different ways. And someday I beg publicly the forgiveness of my daughter, my two daughters and my stepson and my wife. I know we'll never be what it used to be, but somehow that he will bring us together in such a way that they will have the opportunity to receive forgiveness for what I have done to them. And then there is healing there. At the end of David's life, as he was being given his memoirs, he was already entitled as king to have a young maiden sleep with him. And he rejected that thought. Oh God, create in me a pure heart. And a pure heart comes from God. It's something you cannot do. And you have to ask for it. It's spiritual and it happens when you permit God in to clean your house. Amen. Those dirty corners is called eradication. The anointing of the Holy Spirit. That's when you pour the, the oil over the eyes of the sheep so that when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the bugs don't get in there and drive the sheep mad right so don't let the sins drive you crazy and stop you or the remembrance of your sins stop you from doing the ministry because when 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 the lord was going up to the ascension they were all gathering up to see him and he looked right into the souls of in the depth of their hearts and he said he saw that some doubted now he did not scold them after three and a half years and all that I've done and 40 days after resurrection you still don't believe me no he didn't do that he looked at them with his great big fiery eyes and he says a new commandment I give you tell everybody who I am teach them first tell it to your family then to your neighbors then to the township and as you go on and you get better at it practicing go into the next town and then maybe Rome and tell it to the emperor. Some of us here have to tell it to the government. That's how high you can climb. Yeah. Yeah. 
Now, I don't know who you are, but in order to do this correctly, I want to close in prayer, and I want to bless you. And some of you are at that point where you never really surrendered, but you are religious enough to be here regularly, and you understand the word, and the deep down hidden valleys of those areas are so dark that you will not let Christ in your closets. So I'm going to bless you with a prayer, if you may allow me. Holy Father in heaven, I thank you that you hear my prayer. For I've given them the words that you have given me, and they have accepted it. Lord, they are yours, and you have presented them here on this earth. And I ask you not that you take them out of this world, but that you keep them from the evil one while they're here. For they were yours and you brought them here that we can conjugate and we can sharpen ourselves amongst the wits of the word and of the testimonies that we share week after week so that we may evangelize the area of our leadership and our families and our neighborhoods in every which way but loose. Please create in us a pure heart, a heart that has the courage to stand up to the truth no matter what the consequences, even to the shedding of our own blood. Holy Spirit, fill us with your presence. For is it not that your word says we, are a, we have been seated with the seed of the Holy Spirit? So for those men that that seed needs to be br broken, our souls need to be broken to the point where it blossoms, receive the Holy Spirit. He has breathed it onto us. This is what God wants for us. Please. Dear Holy Spirit, be with us, encourage us, and give us the words that we may be speaking to anyone at any time. Let us empty ourselves of ourselves so that we can be used of God. And we give you all the honor, the glory, and the praise forever and ever. Amen. Amen.